So, welcome to the More Than Mostly Comedy podcast once again. Very enthusiastic, Glyn. A lot of energy I was, there. I, 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 I was a lot of energy there. Hello, David, by I the way. I wasn't expecting... Hi, Glyn. Nice to see you, speak to you. Uh, nice to see you and speak to you. I like to, you know, to involve all my senses. Yeah. Of which um, I only have two, apparently. Um, yeah, welcome to this podcast with Mark Morris. Uh, this is very exciting. Yes, Mark Morris, uh, lead singer of the Blue Tones and solo act in his own right. A man who, with his band, has had 13 top 40 singles, three top 10 albums. How many hits have you had, Glenn? Let's be honest. Uh, um None. 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 None hits. I don't even know why I had to think about it, to be honest, because I just yeah. haven't just haven't had any. I mean, to be so. fair, it's not a world you intended to enter into. You never you never went out to have a hit record, were you, really? No, no. I mean, and if it does ever happen, it will be a miracle, and I will be, be very weird. happy. It'd be weird. It'd be weird, weird because you're, you're not releasing any music. So the idea no. that suddenly you, I don't know, you get a call saying you're at number two, and when you haven't released anything... Can, can you get like um can you get like a hit oh no you can no i say this like i'm like i'm stupid that you can of course you can you can get hit podcast i mean we could one day have a hit podcast i mean is that is that kind it's of it's not something? gonna happen Glenn. Um, again we, even though we are releasing a podcast not gonna happen true i mean yeah true. they do have charts podcast charts they um, do. Are, we, are we ever gonna hit, hit those charts do you think doubtful probably <laughs> i don't know I, I, yeah but then who knows we have big names yes. we have big names we just you know we're not out for that reason are we? we're not out to have a hit podcast really but we're, be, we're not we're not no. maybe a tiny bit but we're not we're not we're yeah, not so, yeah no. no um but I, I mean i used to uh want to have hit records i was in a band that was the thing i was very interested in understanding songwriting understanding how that works and hearing his point of view and mm. hearing lots of sort of familiar things that I recognise but obviously from the point of view of someone whose work has spread that much further and and has as we say a very solid uh, fan base as we say in the interview uh, and yeah. it was very clear as we were doing it and, and we mentioned you know this is actually the most popular one uh, audience wise as in live in the room so far um, yeah. there were so many messages uh, going on as we spoke you know people like reminiscing about things as a result of what he said um, yeah. and then afterwards um, after we recorded the interview they stayed in the room and we sort of spoke a bit and then they carried on talking so you know he's got yeah. a very sort of loyal fan base and I guess it's nice for them to get a chance to hear this much sort of detail and, and like you said when we were talking off off um, recording you can get to see in his front room don't you or, or whatever room it was exactly I mean this is it you we I, I always think you know for anyone who's a big fan of anyone that we interview, then yeah, this is the the closest you can come to meeting them personally. I think, in a way, mm. I mean, obviously, or going into the house, going into their house particularly, yeah. But but I think there is something hugely personal, even when you're you're in a group of sort of thirty forty, but you're on a recording like this, or on a uh, you're watching them on, I say, in their in their kind of most comfortable environment, um, yeah. in a, in a very conversational way, and um, as we've been doing with this series of more than mostly comedy podcasts on Zoom. Uh, we've been doing it uh, so that people can interact, can leave questions and things, so people are able to kind of give their input. And we try as to as much as possible tonight to get quite a few questions from people in, and it was really helpful. And there were some great questions as well, weren't there? Really yeah, definitely. Um, and like you say, if you're a fan of someone, it's a, it's a, a good way to sort of, you know, like when you watch an interview on television, but you get to interact with it and you get to play a part in yeah. it. And we've, we've so far seen um, Arthur Smith's front room, Rory Bremner's yeah. kitchen... And yep. I mean, I presume this was Mark's front room. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, no, it, it was lovely. I mean, he's such a nice guy. Um, like all the people we interview, really, we're fortunate at Mostly Comedy. We have lots of nice people. Mm. Um, and I think it's really nice. And he says it himself in the interview. But the, 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 the unusual thing about the Blue Tones is that they've remained really good friends. I know obviously two of them are related. But, um, you know, that's an unusual thing in that industry. And to be yeah. going uh, for 
over 25 years and still have that degree of friendship and is is great and obviously the fans and the people who were probably in the room today grew up with it Mm. you know like I know my wife's a big fan of the Blue Tones Uh, you know she used to go Mm. gig a lot uh, go to see gigs a lot with her sister Um, you know they were probably seeing them 25 years ago they certainly were so you know these are fans that that stay there for the long run and it's you know, and it's nice to, to hear about that and, and to question him ourselves. And there's some um, really interesting stuff, isn't there? Some really interesting stuff that he talks about, yeah. uh, which I won't say because there's just no point because it's going to happen. Yeah, why, why would we weirdly talking. try and recreate it prior yeah. to the event of it, thus just stealing the thunder and also doing it in not a good way? Yeah, I do, exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I can't see that would be a popular um, format. I can't really see how that not. would work. No. So, so let's let Mark Morris do it himself and hand over to the interview now. Today we have, in a virtual sense, sat with us, Mark Morris. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. Good evening. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad at all. How are you surviving this whole um, COVID thing, lockdown thing? Oh, it's, it's, um, it's coming in waves, if you know what I mean, that moods and energy. Uh, and it's starting to get a bit surreal now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even yeah, the idea of things starting again seems a bit hard to grasp. I kind of, yeah, in a weird way, don't want to. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the agoraphobic in me. So it's like, I'm going to just stay here now. Yeah, there's um, certain things in life that you just think, oh, I just don't want to do that anymore. Just, yeah, just going out. and Yeah, I think as much as I've done is go to the shops and back. So yeah, everything nice. else feels like a lot of effort. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's needing to be around people again, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Bloody I, humans. I know, bloody people. I miss them. I, I was... I've got to start by asking a question. This is really on Glyn's behalf, and it probably oh. basically it will set the level really of Glyn's musical knowledge uh, from the okay. beginning. Did you ever meet the Spice Girls? Did that ever? Um, <laughs> did I? I've definitely met um, Mel C. Okay. I don't remember meeting any others. No. So no. so twenty percent of the Spice Girls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Let's clarify. That does really sum up my musical knowledge of the time. Um, particularly or any time or any time really that's really. But, yeah that's my um that's my musical background yeah david always takes the mickey out of me i'm the i'm the one who's into the cheesy pop stuff and um we, we were looking through and i was talking about how i had um first heard slight return and it was on um now 34 i think now 34 uh, yeah well, do you know what now we're on at the moment god knows four thousand something is it yeah is it? I d- they, they like release a couple of year now don't they i think yeah. and I then the you- first three yeah, I had the first four, I think. Now four I went up to. And right. Then the... And then there oh, were other compilations available for a little yes. while. Things like Hungry for Hits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah. Fast the Forward had one, didn't they? There was one called The Hit yeah. Squad that was good. Right. That's when I discovered uh, Heaven 17. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, and obviously things have sort of changed a bit with the whole gigs stopping and the like at the moment. But you're obviously coming up to the 25th anniversary of uh, Expecting to Fly. Um, mm. How does that feel? Is it does it feel that long? Is is that a weird thought, or is it something? You it sort is of come... quite a weird thought when you stop and think about it. I mean, uh, well, for me anyway, because it's you know more than half my life away now, and it and sometimes it feels like that, and sometimes it still feels very close. A lot of those memories and a lot of those uh, feelings from that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it was the 25th anniversary of the first single on Friday, so that's oh, why really? I was oh. reflective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not building up for my reflection for next February or anything. <laughs> mm. I've started already. No, this was because, yeah, I was prompted by the Are You Blue or Are You Blind anniversary. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's 
crazy really that I'm still, I, I, you know, I've, I'm still doing the thing that I love to do and I'm still doing it with my best friends. And it's crazy to think that this, this music still has this appeal all these years later. I mean, we're very lucky. I think we made a really good record with that one. I think we made a few good records, but certainly I can see, I can understand now that I'm a bit further away from it. Why it caught the public's imagination and I'm a bit sort of, uh, um, I feel a bit more proud of it than I perhaps did in the past. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say, does your sort of relationship change with it over time or, or in all the albums? Well, certainly. I think when you're um, very much, when, when you're in the process of um, of making albums, you're trying to move away from what, what you last did all the time. Even though you incorporate it into your live sets and, you know, you play a bit of everything. But when you're moving forward and making things, you want to try and do something that was different from what you just did. So you don't just have the same not only that don't have the same experience, but you also can grow a bit together mm. and push yourselves and, and try different styles and try different approaches of both writing and recording. And so, yeah, I mean, and so for a number of years, we were kind of like, well, we've done that. And yeah. we push it behind us a little bit. But now I guess, you know, the time and, and, and passing and everything, you, I think we're able to give ourselves a slight pat on the back. Yeah, yeah well, our younger selves, not our current selves. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, you did well there, lad. Was there was there ever a pressure when you first kind of got that huge success? Quite uh, early on, was it quite early on that that kind of you really kind of went into straight into number two, wasn't it? Number um, one was the album. Number one was straight, the album, straight into it? number yeah. one. Um, is... But to have that success, did was there a pressure from record labels and then to kind of try and replicate that straight away, or were you able to kind of do exactly what you wanted with the next album? We had a lot of. We had all the freedom that we wanted to from um, our label, which was A&M at the time. And um, it was kind of like a, we were the goose that was laying the golden egg, so you don't sort of start rattling it around, do you? No, no. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that time, I guess, because of the success of Expecting to Fly, there was a certain amount of pressure on us to, um, well, just to, to, to do the best record we could. I mean, certain things like record sales and how popular it proves to be, those things are out of your hands. And we've, we've learned at an early age, really, to not try, not um, weigh ourselves down with with the numbers. Mm. Because we really didn't expect the first album to kind of take off, if you pardon the pun, as it did. And so it didn't, its success didn't change our sort of creative goals at the time. We still wanted to make, and. And the record, the second record we made is slightly heavier. And that's kind of like part of the journey we were on. We, 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 we were suddenly touring and playing so much that our sound started to change. Yeah. And it's more reflected on the second album, which is slightly heavy. It's not a heavy record by any account, but there's, there's a couple of big numbers on there. Well, it's probably my favourite Blue Tones single, which is Solomon Bites the Worm, is on, on that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, which I also use as my play on music, because I stand up as well. So oh, I can't work out whether I owe you, you money. you paid any money for that? I, I can't remember if I owe you money for PRS or whether we're sort of up to speed, really. No, but, you're right. Yeah. But it's funny, because for me, that was more the album that I got into. I don't know why. I mean, because like, I specifically remember, because I was a couple of years younger than you, but like like that particular song and that riff, like jamming that in like band practices and stuff. So it was just, it, 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 and strangely I had it on tape as well. I don't really know why I bought it on tape, which seems like, it's like the weird, it's like the most rubbish it's, version. Yeah, less space. 
Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's so trebly and sort of thin. You just I don't mean your album specifically. Place. I mean, you had less space to keep your records, so you bought cassettes. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, true. But, but CDs weren't a thing then, were they? Were CDs around yeah, then? Yeah, they were, yeah. Oh, they were? Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. Not that what are you old? doing? <laughs> so backwards. <laughs> when, when you made that first album, how long did it take to make Out of Interest? Um, I think it was about... Oh, the recording, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think we spent about five weeks recording it and then probably another 12 days mixing it. Right. Um, with a break in between. But it was recorded over a, over the summer and the summer of 1995. And we were, we had lots of festival commitments. So we'd, we'd set up for the week and at the weekend we had to break everything down again and load it up and go and play a festival. Right. And I remember at the time it was very frustrating because it felt like we had to keep um, losing our flow and starting again. But, you know, that was just the nature of the beast. We were kind of in demand, I suppose, and we had to pay for the recording <laughs> somehow. I mean, it was great. It was uh, my memories at that time are really special because we were very lucky. It was um, we were completely spoiled. The studio itself was fantastic. It doesn't exist as a recording studio anymore, sadly. It's called Ridge Farm, right. and it's, it was out in Surrey, and it had a beautiful old uh, barn that had been converted into the live room and the uh, and the studio and the control room. And, and a big Tudor house with sort of about eight bedrooms in it and a huge dining room and a huge billiard room and kitchens and stuff. And, you know, we were kind of treated like little lords. We had people coming there making us breakfast, lunch and dinner. There was like a floodlit tennis court. We never actually, we never used that. Right. And, uh, and <laughs> you insist on having one, just on, we won't use it. We just exactly, need one, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the right. Yeah. And there was an indoor pool and jacuzzi as well, mm. which was always lovely and warm. Nice. And so we'd work into the night until about sort of two or three o'clock in the morning and then just get into the jacuzzi and we'd like, you know, sitting there with our glasses of martini or whatever, looking up at the stars thinking, bloody hell, you know, yeah. if this is as good as it gets, this is pretty good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> just one of the people in the room said, uh, Chris Reed said, I think it's a wedding venue now. So there you go. That's, that's what it's. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I'd heard that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did it feel as because like when you sort of doing your first album, often it's like the songs that you've had around for a while, um, and then maybe mm -hmm. when you make your second one, you're like starting from scratch. Did it did it feel like an album as you made it, or was it sort of a collection of songs that you know? How, how did it feel the to you? Second record, you mean? Well, well, both really. The first and the then the first, second. The songs have been hanging around for a number of years. There are a couple of new ones, newish or newer ones on it. Vampire was one of the newer ones, um, and. Um, Talking to Clary was quite an old song. Slight Return had been around for ages. Blue Tonic, you know, most of the album had been around for a while and we'd, mm -hmm. and we'd played it in, played the songs in. We played, you know, a number of hours doing these songs on, in front of an audience because they do grow that way. Mm -hmm. And on subsequent records, we haven't really had that same experience because they kind of grow after you've recorded them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than before. Because you, you know, you arrange them, you get them down, and then you start to tour a record, and then the songs change a bit, and which is good. Is it, is it slightly frustrating in that sense if you if the song sort of improves over time? You think, oh, I wish that was on the recording rather than that's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I can, you know, I can understand why lots of bands in the past would do live albums mm -hmm. because of the, because of that very reason. I expect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, also, was there a moment? Because obviously, like, I mean, I think the album went in at number one, didn't it? The first album, which is, I mean, they're not. That's that's pretty incredible. That's 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 yeah. a real achievement. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I imagine that was a moment. But was there a moment 
Is there a no. key moment in your mind where you thought, okay, this is happening now. This is yes. the thing I set out to do. Yes, there was. It was um, It was before the album came out. It was when Slight Return had been released as a single and Adam and I were um, sent on this little press junket across Europe. So we went to um, Sweden and Denmark, all very quickly. I remember us getting a helicopter from um, Malmo, I think it was, across this uh, body of water, which is only about a couple of miles, and then you're in Copenhagen. It's very close to each other. Just doing the press junket, and then we got a plane and went to Amsterdam and then to do interviews. And the next day we were flying back from Amsterdam to the UK, and our record label got the midweek position. It was like she got on a Wednesday. Hmm. And it was number two. <laughs> and, uh, I remember being told this as we were walking towards, you know, um, on, onto the plane. Hmm. And uh, I don't know how he got it. He must have had one of that. He must have had a primitive mobile phone or something because we got the information at the airport. Um, and um, and it was just and you know and the information was well you're not going to be number one because whatever is at the number one at the moment is miles ahead. Right. Uh, number three is miles behind so you're going to be number two so on the Wednesday we knew that and it was just completely surreal being in another country uh getting that weird news and then getting used to the idea (laughs) yeah Yeah. and how I mean how long had you been signed um at at that point or even how long had you been going as a band what was the sort of turnaround time um well Adam and Scott and myself had been in uh, a band together for about um let me think probably for about four or five years at that point. And Ed's had been in the band for about three years at that point. Right. Maybe a bit longer, actually. <clears throat> it's all a bit of a haze, I'm afraid. How did, you, how did it all kind of start then? Where did it all start? Um, well, um, Scott and I joined a band. Uh, we, we didn't form a band uh, like Art Brew. We joined a band and then we um, kind of took over because uh, I brought my friend along with us as well who played drums, a guy called Greg and he was the original drummer in the Blue Tones um, and this band was called The Bottle Garden it was Robin's band, Robin was a singer and wrote the lyrics and then Scott and I had started to write songs at home and we were bringing them to the band and we were adding them to the set and it was all going swimmingly but we were starting to hit a bit of a wall because even at that age it was like Robin wanted to go in one direction and, and Scott and I wanted to go in another direction and and so we, um, and then we recruited Adam. I moved into a shared house after I left home and Adam was one of the other tenants. And that's how we met. I'd seen him around town because he was in another band called um, Perfect Mess. And I, we shared the bill once at some jamboree in the back of a pub. And, um, and I really liked him. When we moved in, I, I immediately liked him. He was immediately, he's funny, you know, and, um, and then he, he was in this band and I didn't rate his band, but I really rated his playing. And then one night I just sort of said, why don't you just fucking join our band? <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, oh, dying for you to ask, you know, <laughs> and then he left his band, which is a bit awkward because the singer in his band was one of the other tenants in the house. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, and her name, her name was Helena. She didn't take it very well, understandably. And, um, and then, you know, we kept going for a bit as a five piece. And, and then we d- decided to disband and reform uh, without Robin. And I was going to sort of step forward and, did, you know, do some singing because I was writing the songs. And so I kind of wanted to sing them. 
and uh, I didn't sort of see myself as a singer or anything like that. I just thought, well, none of us, no one else is going to do it. And um, and at that time, I was playing a lot more guitar in the band. And then after a while, I dropped the guitar. I mean, not literally. <laughs> and, um, and then and I, I concentrated on being a front man, mm. if you know what I mean, for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, also, like you're saying, you know, about when you're talking about being at number two, I mean, the, the, the thing you're not saying there is what was at number one, presumably, was Morning Glory um, at that point, I'm guessing. Oh, what? Um, and now in the singles chart, it was Babylon Zoo. Oh, yeah, oh, oh funny enough, I was oh, talking yeah, to about this. There's a, there's yeah, a bit yeah, of an issue. We oh, yeah, we, we did discuss this, Babylon Zoo, because I, I did buy that um, track. So, 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 so the, the, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was <laughs> but like yeah Glenn, so Glenn had the Now album with Slight Return on but he bought the single Babylon Zoo so if he'd actually I'm bought, really sorry if he'd actually bought the single late. it's too late <laughs> too late now isn't it? Too, it may have been my fault gone. I'm really sorry it could have gone the other way I should have bought your single and just had yeah that it wasn't stopped. down to that yeah our bass player bought the 12 inch of it that week as well really <laughs> <laughs> you never want to do like the maths and go oh, fuck it it was just two away from no no but, um, but I mean, also, what sort of key is there, there were a lot of bands around at that time. It was a big, and I was sort of saying this because I was in a band at the time as well. And it's like, um, suddenly, because I was into music like before and into being in a band since I've been younger, but something about what was happening at that time meant suddenly people were in bands again. You know, bands were heavily in the charts. You know, it it was probably the last time, I think, that was closest to like the 60s in terms of the variety, well, yeah. you know. I, I, I agree. I think there's lots of parallels there. I mean, there were lots of, Lots of bands that had uh, good bodies of work and would go on to make very interesting records one after the other. Mm. And there was lots of other bands that had like one or two good songs and, you know, made up the scene. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like the garage scene back in the 60s, there was lots of bands. Mm. If you buy one of those Nuggets box sets, there's loads of brilliant songs on it. But then mm. if you explore a lot of the band or the artists further, the rest of their stuff's crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and I think the same was of the nineties. But there's a lot of great songs and a lot of great bands. But you know, a few like real sort of uh, high watermarks and real artists. And I obviously include myself in that list <laughs> at the top. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's involved. Um, but did you feel like you were part of a sort of scene at the time, or was it just I don't know what, what did it feel like? Or were you more concentrating on what you were doing? Um, no, it didn't feel like we were part. I mean, we were aware that there was an upsurge in guitar music in the culture, and we were a part of that. But there wasn't like some kind of uh, um, society backstage where you all had, you know, uh, you all lived in each other's pockets and we're all best mates. It was, everyone was kind of thrust together. And I think everybody wants to really just be evaluated on their own terms. And, and so everyone kind of resents you, you you do resent it to a certain extent being lumped under a tag or the Britpop kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, even now, I mean, it's a difficult one because you get, you know, th th there'll be a Britpop tour organized and they'll ask us to do it and they'll say, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, we just stopped fighting the battle. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Call, us what you want. call us what you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as well, it's really, it's really hard to define bands anyway. Like if someone asks you, oh, what's your stuff like? You know, you always go for the sort of lazier, not really, you know, necessarily like it thing at all. You might say what your influences are and stuff. So I guess, yeah, is it a thing you sort of go, like you say, fuck it, it doesn't really matter to be lumped into that thing because it, you're just, you just do what you do, you know? Yes. It's also, it's also one of those things where you've got to pick your battles. 
and that takes a lot of uh, you know repetition and it's an energy and time to keep going well we're not really Britpop and then you just go right Christ yeah let's do a Brit let's do the Britpop tour it'll be yeah. fun yeah yeah it'll be fun <laughs> I think you know it's just a it's also that thing as well it's like when you look back at um at the for example punk there were lots of acts in that scene who wouldn't have considered themselves punk but yeah. they kind of are oh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know and after a while they admit it they pop up on all the punk documentaries not saying we're not punk yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's that kind of thing it's just the thing is owned by the people at the end of the day you know we can't yeah. have a committee and say listen everybody you've got to stop calling it that now yeah yeah we, we were can't. saying the other day that we we're not sure i mean it might be wrong here but like after that era and the Britpop kind of thing there wasn't there hasn't really been a sort of thing like that since mm. Yeah, in a way that, you know. like, I think also it probably helps, like, you've got your 80s, 90s, and then when you get to 2000, there's that weird, like, non-decade, where it's, yeah, like, you yeah. know, and then it goes yeah. into 2010. So, yeah, I think not just in terms of the music itself, but just, and also, I suppose, you were still at a point where um, there was still limited amount of channels, limited formats, limited sort of other things for people to find and do. You know, mm. I don't think the pop music scene or music in itself yeah, is anything like Everything it seems to disseminate differently, didn't it? It, it yeah. went... Um, which is why you had magazines folding, TV mm. stations disappearing, and well, TV channels, uh, music channels, and that sort of thing, just suddenly going. Mm. Yeah. But um, and uh, but the other the, the other side of that was because there were so few outlets. If you got on one, everyone bloody saw you. Yeah. 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 When there's only, as it was, let's say, even being generous, like with the advent of cable, there'd only be about nine channels that anyone would watch, and if you got on one yeah. of them. Everyone would have a way of seeing it. Yeah. And nowadays, it's it's quite it's quite different, isn't it? It's quite uh, yeah. broader. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And I, th- I mean, I've always been someone who's just bought, listened to a song, and then bought that song, and never sometimes we'll haven't really looked into the artist. We'll a good compilation. Get it all with the old compilations. I'm always up for the old compilations. <laughs> but, but like nowadays, even less so. I would go on iTunes or whatever, and I would just go, I like that song. And I'd listen to that song, but I wouldn't necessarily go in and listen to the albums. But I guess back then people did buy albums a lot more and people were listening to all the tracks. Um, and there was a lot more, people were sort of focused on one particular band a lot more than they probably are now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think you still get the album. The, the album I, chart is a separate thing though, isn't it? They really? do I have it now. Don't they? Yeah, obviously it exists. I'll do that. If I hear two songs by the same artist that I like, I think, right, I'm going in. I'm going to get the oh, album. Okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just me. I've got no attention span. I just kind of disappear off. It is else. just you, Glenn. You just got it's just me, isn't it? Appalling taste. Yeah. Really, this is a man who tried to um, justify buying Teletubby say Eto. Don't even go there with that. Well, you're the one who bought it. For fuck's it's sake. true. I mean, it's true. I feel like I need to stage an intervention with your kids, really. But um, and so, so people are sort of saying it's sad that there isn't. Um, I've lost who it was now. I think it was Janice on the thing who said, you know, there's no like top of the pops or old grey whistle test now well, where you have it. the sort yeah. of or even the big bre- uh, big breakfast or like yeah. um chris evans what was it tr5 friday you know we used to have that you thing the, you used to have programs going through the night as well didn't you yeah oh, yeah, yeah night yeah. network was before that but even after that you had music shows that went on after midnight the beat yeah yeah you don't really get those sort of i mean you get your music channels i suppose but you don't get programs on the sort of main channels sort of showcasing well, music in the music channels lately there's not much music on there it's just all reality tv nowadays on mm. the music channels no, I and uh, you know and situation comedies uh, what's your sort of relationship with reviews is that how's that for you <laughs> um I've, i don't really read them anymore no 
not even the good ones. It is that old cliche of if you've got to read the good ones, then you've got to read the bad ones, and that's true. Mm. And it's the bad ones that stay with you. <laughs> so I try to just give it all a swerve and let someone else tell me, oh, you've got a good review in so-and-so. And then no one says, oh, you got a shit review in so-and-so, because no one <laughs> wants to be that cruel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As like your approach to writing changed much over the years, do you think? is it? Do you, has it got easier, harder, or is it the same sort of level of ideas well, going to come? Struggle, to be honest, it's, it's, it's always a struggle. It always takes me an inordinate amount of time to finish a song. Yeah. I can start a lot of things quite quickly and get to a certain point and not finish them. Yeah. I wish I was better at finishing things off. Um, which is one of the things I've got, I've been concentrating on during all this is, and I'm going to um, crank it up a notch in the coming days and weeks. Um, but yeah, I've always found it a bit of a struggle and I always try to, I have to be in a certain frame of mind and a certain, it's difficult to say, really. <laughs> it's difficult yeah. to explain because you don't, you feel like a lot of things is, 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 is sent to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're grabbing it out of the air and then, and then, and you, and then you're checking it that it's original. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the classic McCartney, like yesterday story, isn't it? Where he dreamt it. So, you know, and he went around asking people, did I write this song? Is this, you know, and even he says, you know, somebody's written so many songs that he doesn't want to talk about it too much because he doesn't want the magic to go. That thing of just like picking an idea out. Of That's it. it. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a real appeal to that. To, I think retaining the mystery of songwriting. I mean, which is why I've always avoid, avoided those opportunities when people have invited me to do like songwriting uh, talks. I've done one or two in the past, but now I don't do them at all anymore because I can't really sell something I don't believe in. Right. Mm, I mean, yeah. it's like I think the idea of that you're, you sell songwriting as if there's a knack. There are certain, everyone knows that there are certain rules. Any idiot can work that out for themselves. But the knack is, not, it's, non, it's non-existent. It's just, it's, you've got to work at it a little bit. And you've got to um, just try and avoid cliche. And that's all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. We've um, had, we've Pete, got, we're getting some questions coming in. I yeah, think Glim's going to do one say, as well. Peter yeah. Hayes on the chat just says boredom is key to songwriting. Just got on that topic. Uh-huh. Is that yeah. do, you, do you agree with that? Absolutely. No one writes a, that many songs when they're busy having a really good time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> they yeah. do. They're usually not very good songs. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, boredom is key to songwriting, and it's one of the things that's key. I think self-hatred and... uh... (laughs) Yeah, it's that thing, Uh, comfortable musicians, comfortable writers don't necessarily write good, you know, interesting material as as much, you know, as as much depth. I mm -hmm. I mean, it is a challenge, uh, you know, the the more material I have behind me, it's more of a challenge to not repeat myself. I mean, I'm I'm aware that I've got certain songs which sound very similar in my catalogue, but it's almost like um, uh, they're kind of just like calling cards now. Hmm. I, I have to get that sort of. I have to get that one out of my system. There's always a kind of slightly <clears throat> mariachi esque, Arthur Lee inspired number that I think of far out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. There's another good question I got because I know you've written uh, for um, like audio books and like particularly with like David Walliams and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a question from Sarah Weatherall here. 
so how does writing songs compare with writing and composing music for the like of audiobooks, etc.? Well, it's, it's, well that's, that's a good question, actually, because that's a completely different process for me. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's almost like um, subconsciously I, I'm more freed up when I'm doing the David Williams stuff because my name's not written on it so big. And I can be more frivolous and more fun, and I am. And the process is more frivolous and fun. I literally just um, mess around, or even on one of my keyboards or on the guitar, and just mess around and see what good tunes I can come up with, and then see what's appropriate to the the content of the book. And then, um, you know, I record it very basically, and then take it round to my uh, my collaborator, this guy called Gordon Mills. Take it round to his studio, and we turn this doodle into a into a piece of music together yeah. and you know we sort of sit there humming strings and romp poms to each other <laughs> and yeah. you know everything's right at your fingertips now because of sampling and so you can mm. really construct some fun stuff and for me it's just like playing in the sandpit and it's good it keeps the wheels turning yeah. and it's you know i'm not so um hung up on it and so serious about it when i'm creating it yeah yeah, yeah. I was going to sort of I was on a sort of similar vein because I imagine you can sort of like you say because you you can just do it whatever you want in something like that. Does sometimes the the label that you have in your mind or you think the perception people have of you as a as in the blue tones or what you do solo does that ever sort of trap you a bit, uh, make you feel you can't do things, or is it does it become a burden, or is it? Um, that's not something I consider. No, not really. No. Um, but then, yeah, that's that's always I think that's more a question of other people's perception of me in it but my perception of myself is that they don't have any perception of me <laughs> right yeah, yeah. oh that was a that was a loophole <laughs> but um yeah. no i don't i don't i mean i didn't feel self-conscious or, or anything like that when I, I don't think like i'm bringing too much baggage to anything i'm doing the the book music for example or even when i was in matt berry's band it's not like it was the matt and mark show i was very much in the shadows grooving away quite happy there i was gonna say is it nice to do a thing where you're not the focus essentially like, yes it was really lovely it was really liberating and i could just enjoy the playing and not having to feel a sense of um responsibility you know mm. to be the com communicator yeah yeah mm. it sounds awfully lazy but it's just like a sort of holiday from yourself in, in many ways i suppose it gives you a chance yeah. to sort of reset and then go back to do the other yeah, stuff I mean, you do. i've always been i've always been a front man and it was nice to be part of the band. Yeah, yeah. And there's a different chemistry, a different vibe. I was also going to ask, like, because your first solo album, I think, sort of crossed over with the last Blue Tones album uh, you did, maybe, I think, with a few years, maybe in front of. Um, oh, yeah, a couple of years before the last Blue Tones album, yeah. Was that, like, um, was that a weird thing to do? Did it feel weird, did you think? Or did you consider the songs for the band and then go, oh, no, I'll hold that one back or... Um... No, not at all. We we were going to take a break from recording anyway because there were various things going on in our in our lives, children being born and that sort of thing. That was my pen squeaking, by the way. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was approached by a label. I, I, I recorded some songs with Gordon, just like a little um, four-track EP, and I kind of started selling it because I started playing. Then I got approached by a label and they said, well, how would you feel about uh, recording an album when we'll put, and we'll put it out? And I hadn't really considered it until then. The EP was fine by me. I was, that was, I was happy to just do that, to keep my creative thing going. And then um, I put it to the rest of the band and they were like, go for it. You should do it. 
and they all got involved actually in the recording. Scott's plays bass on that album. Ed's came in for a bit of percussion. Adam plays a couple of important guitar solos, that sort of thing. And um, no, no, it was nice. It was uh, it was all fine. It was all happy in the garden. And I I never said I never let the band feel that there was ever going to be any conflict between my solo ambitions. I didn't have solo ambitions at that point. And uh, and the band, and it's to this day, it still isn't really. The band will always come first. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're sort of fortunate because you're one of maybe the minority of bands that seem to just always got on, just always, you know, been very, very sort of easygoing about it, or so it seems anyway. Um, yeah. Do, do you think it helped maybe like things like, because I know like most of the songs are credited to the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did that help at all with like... Of course not... it did. Yeah. Of course it did. I mean, look, look at the, a lot of other stories where... What's the thing that hmm. breaks friends apart? What's the worst thing that's going to break friends apart? It's going to be money, fighting over money. And then the resentment that, and the division that that causes when you see so-and-so driving into the studio in a Bentley yeah. whilst you're yeah. still coming up. Sidecar. Yeah. Mini yeah. Cooper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, so we, that was always on the table for, for the band. Right from the beginning, we always said that. And because as far as we're concerned, we put the same hours in yeah. and everyone makes the song what it is, what it becomes, everyone's contribution. Ed's is always a big contributor, even though he doesn't uh, instigate the writing process. He's always got lots of good arrangement ideas, whereas Scott and Adam write music and occasionally lyrics. And so it's, so it's all shared that way. That way you're not fighting to get songs on an album. It doesn't matter whose songs get on the album because they're all, they're all, all of ours. Yeah. And that way you can hopefully make the best piece of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, I think you probably start thinking, right, I've really got to get something into this song or into this thing. And then it, your mind's in the completely the wrong place to sort of write, I, you know, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it works. It works several ways as well. I mean, um, sometimes you can be in a situation where somebody's got a very strong idea about the direction of the song and it's a good idea and you just let them go, go with it. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, if I were to just, just want to put my thing on there for the sake of it, it might spoil the picture. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's often where a lot of the creative uh, disputes would come from, but they're always worked out all right in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be about that. People wanted to get their ideas on and not being that warmly received. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a question sort of similar to what you were covering there, but from Katie. Uh, was it daunting to, daunting to make the jump from being a part of a band to being a solo artist, particularly on stage? When you, I know like sometimes you've done gigs and pretty much the Blue Tones have been the band, but um, do, do, was that strange, like turning up to gigs on your own, or was it? Um... It was at first, yeah. It was, it was really strange at first, yeah. uh, feeling like really exposed, and I wasn't that as I wasn't that confident uh, in myself straight away, and so there was quite a, a, a quite a learning curve. But I just kept kept on going. It's like I'm going to get good at it eventually. Hopefully, you know, I should do. You know, just on the uh, Malcolm Gladwell principle. And yeah. uh, but um, but now I, I it's fine. It's it's now it's second nature to me. Yeah. And um, and in many ways, getting over that hump, and it happened and during you know during a period when the Blue Tones weren't really active, well during when we we'd broken up. Um, that I was able to come back to the band and feel like I was bringing something still, you know, and able to adapt my game to the new um, dynamic. So I think having done that, 
gone out on my own for a bit and then coming back to the sort of comfort blanket of a band was very beneficial for everybody yeah yeah and because mm. because like you say you you sort of decided to call it a day with the blue tones for a bit and yeah in 2011 and had like was it a farewell tour you did or sort of thing i yeah yeah so uh, what led to it coming back again was it just just the enjoyment of it the missing it or the well yeah ironically it was um I was touring my second solo album and I was gonna, I wanted to take it out on the road. I'd, I'd taken my first album out on the road with a little band, but they all weren't available. And um, uh, Eds and Scott and Adam all sort of got in touch with me independently of one another to say, oh, if you are going out for a couple of weeks, you know, I'd be interested in coming along. And, um, you know, 50 quid a night in a bed and breakfast, come on here, <laughs> count me in. And, um, so I just thought it would be fun to go out. I, I said, right, so I contacted him. I said, why don't we just do it right then? It's the Mark Morris show. We play my stuff. You're the backing band, but we just don't announce it as the, mm. that, that. People will, will turn up and they'll go, oh, right, it's, mm. it's all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it'd be a nice surprise. It was only like a half a dozen gigs or eight gigs or something like that. And um, we did that. We did like a Blue Tone song at the end of the set. It, was a, it would have been wrong not to. And... Um, that just really started everyone's fires burning again. Everyone realized how much they'd missed it. I mean, I hadn't, I'd missed being around them. I hadn't missed touring and, and playing music, I, but I'd missed being around them. Mm. And we'd all, we, and we'd, I think we all felt like that. And um, so we were like, can we, like, can we reform? Is it not just like a big swizz? <laughs> and um, that's right, the magical sex band. There it is. I just saw the name come up, yeah. And, um, <laughs> And um, it was one of those things just like, oh, hell yeah, man, it's our train set. We can do what we like. Of course, people will probably be a little bit cynical about it, but we can't control that. I'm sorry to those people. If those people feel like they want a refund for something, then come see me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why would they complain if someone likes your band? Why would they be unhappy? I know, with it's, it? yeah. it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? So why did you get back together? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Uh, why did you buy a ticket for tonight's show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, I mean, I, I, it strikes me, and it's sort of been proved, I think, in like the interest in this, which has been the most sort of audience we've had yeah. for one of these things. Um, I mean, you, you're, you have a very, very solid fan base and uh, who are very sort of loyal. And, you know, you, and also you, you seem to have quite a close sort of contact and connection with them as well. And sort of, you know, you talk, you talk to people, you probably recognise faces in the ground stuff do you I, sometimes I, I i don't know do, does do you feel the pressure to live up to that or do you just feel like well no we're just a community i just do what i do and or is it nice to have that sense pressure to live up to people's already quite compromised expectations <laughs> well yeah if you, you could put it like that but um, um no, no um, only, only in as much as there always has been. You always want to do the best show you can. But I think now, compared to then, we have a lot more respect for the show than we would have done when we were young. In the old days, it was we were really distracted by all the uh, recreational stuff that went along with being on tour, all the distractions and all the, all the partying. You know, we didn't go at it hard and crazy, but it, we were at it constantly and consistently. <laughs> and um, and now we very much, the show's front and centre and it's about getting something out of it myself. And I, I speak for everyone here. So we take something out of the show because we've given something to it. 
not just get getting through it because we've had a heavy one the night before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would, 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 would have been the case when we were in our mid-20s. I mean, there's a case in point. I'm, I think Glenn's looking at it as well. I mean, someone, Karen Morgan said on the chat, mate, I have a, the Blue Tones lyrics tattooed. I'm for life. I mean, that is... That's good. That, yeah. That's a thing. That's an incredible What line thing. is it? What line is it? Or is it the logo? Yeah, that's for... That's fine. Yeah, keep your eyes closed. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's, well, you know, that's to have people on side. I think that's just a wonderful thing. You know, the, um, I think like me and Glenn as comedians, sometimes we get a bit suspicious when someone likes us. You're like, what, why do you like, you know, and it, but, and yeah. also like, I, I definitely see akin to things like when we toured and stuff as well. And you, you just, yeah, you're not really thinking about the show when you're younger, when you're doing it, you're just doing yeah. that thing. And now you're like, yeah. And you remember, hang on a minute, people are paying because they want to see us do this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, to have people having your lyrics tattooed or whatever it might be, that is that so that's inspirational. That's yeah. a really cool thing. Um, no question goes with that. It's just like, um, Karen said the best thing you ever did was reform. Reform. Oh, that's very nice. I agree. I agree. Like so much, like so much ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like ham does. Um, well, I'm just looking but, through some questions now. Oh, and also there's like a thing noted. There's the reason why because like. Mostly comedy, our club is a comedy club, but we always um, had like comedic music as well. And one of the reasons that we sort of booked you was because I knew that like your sort of banter and your delivery, what you do is very funny and very sort of entertaining. So you were one of the first actual actual music, straight music acts that we booked, partly because yeah. we knew that, you know, what you do and, and that's all part of it. Um, do you think you need to have a sense of humour to be in a band? Because I mean, it always seems to be like all the best bands had that, you know, again, the Beatles and stuff had their sort of, you know. Yeah. I know, yeah, no, I was thinking about this recently, actually. It was in, in, a, in a kind of Beatles and versus the Stones type debate. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I think I've written a lot of sort of melancholy songs over the years. And for me to exist in that space for the whole of the evening or the whole of the tour, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole of the year mm-hmm. would be like, wouldn't be good for me, wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to kind of step in and out of the songs. So when I'm in the song, when I'm, I can be really in, in, in the moment and lost in the song and then I can snap out of it. And I don't want to be morose. Like the song may be slightly sad and, but I don't want that to affect the mood, you know, cause, and I think people can do that as well. They can dip in and out. You can get mm. into it. But you don't need a whole bloody hour and a half of that. No. <laughs> no, a bit God, no. And then I'd probably get a little bit throwaway with, you know, or a bit, um, what's the word, you know, it's that thing of, it's that imposter syndrome thing, isn't it? So I just, I am very sort of like, I don't know. I'm the opposite of, uh, of uh, Liam and Noel in that regard. I'm not, I don't like to be up there saying how great I am. But let the, let the music well, I am. for that. I mean, I mean obviously, yeah. yeah. You, don't you just don't loud, want to say yeah. it. You want yeah. other people to say it to you. Yes, exactly. All the time. <laughs> oh, hang on. Uh, Jill's, uh, Jill's iPhone. So I don't think iPhone's her surname. I think that's just... A bit uh, weird if it she was. She predicted the um, iPhone. She, her family yeah, made called, the iPhone. They designed it. She did, it. yeah. yeah. Uh, she said, I'm, I'm inked too. I have, I'm fine. I'm alive. I'm, I've arrived. I've arrived, yeah. From uh, Four Day Weekend. Do, yeah, do you find like your fans know your stuff better than you do sometimes or, or sometimes yes yeah <laughs> and is that yes is that, yeah well, that's normal that's natural it would be weird if i had a an encyclopedic knowledge of all my own stuff that would be that would sort of smack of egotism yeah 
And but do you also find because I imagine some songs you write, like you say, if they're quite melancholy or they're quite personal, um, is it sort of is it strange to pass that over sometimes to a wider audience, or is there a point where you go, okay, now that's that song, that's that that identity, it's not really mine anymore. It's. But I think for me, I think that's the thing that takes a lot more time. Is when I'm happy with a song, with the balance of it, with it having you know, with it having something about it that can resonate with other people and also with it not being too laid bare. I mean, I don't want, it's not, this isn't autobiographical work. I'm not laying my life open to people in say the way that someone like John Grant might be. He's much more confessional and much more um, specific to himself. But, you know, obviously they're completely relatable emotions, but I try to be a little bit more, a, a little more vague and, uh, a universal but without being cliched without relying on you know just being trite yeah i try to i try to say things differently and i try to make things rhyme differently and that sort of thing also it's yeah. art isn't it so it's, it's there's a point when it becomes a you know it's, it doesn't have to be i mean it's like you say some people are very autobiographical but it's it's a, it's yeah just to be creative it's got to have truth yeah yeah, yeah. you want it to connect Otherwise, you're looking for something else in a song, you know, which is just a good feeling. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jane Travis said, um, do you have one song you're most proud of writing? Mm. That's a good question. I don't I don't really. I've got a few that I've um, been thinking about lately that I'm that I'm, I'm pleased with. Um, there's a song on. I love the opening song on the um, last Blue Tones album. Uh the notes between the notes between the notes uh because it was it was really fun to create it all came out of scott's head that one uh he had a new instrument called an omnichord and it was all written on that it's like a japanese toy it's made by yamaha and they don't make them anymore so if you get one you've got to really look after it and his is now knackered <laughs> but um that i really love it because it came it came out it was such fun Right, and I, I like it, and I think it's every time, I, and it's I, I, I don't listen to it often, but when I've heard it, it still sounds good. Hmm. And uh, I really love Firefly from that record too. That's one of the best things we've done. But earlier on, see the earlier on stuff, as I mentioned earlier, it feels like it's uh, to me, it just feels like a, you know another person almost did it, and I it's not like I'm. Uh, as connected to it now i am when i'm performing it but a lot of stuff's just sort of it goes away because you're focused on what you're what's in front of you yeah so i mean from the early stuff i love vampire from the first album i'm very proud of that song from the second album i think the intro is brilliant um the second album for me is slightly problematic in that i do think it's a little bit over long i know it's not popular for people who like it but then at the same time i don't know what song i would chop from it if I had to um, but I do think it's I think it's about 55 minutes long and for me that's probably about seven minutes too long right yeah it needs to get on one side of a uh, you know a C45 and there's always about 48 minutes on one of those cassettes isn't there I can vouch for that because I had it on cassette so that's well, yeah. <laughs> okay, yep that was yeah do, do you find that um, I mean this is probably a really dumb question but having that many so having that bigger catalogue do you forget lyrics do you have to remind yourself of lyrics do you kind of have to read before you go out on tour i mean before you go out and do it live um do you yes 
do you, do you kind of forget lyrics occasionally and go yes oh, yes I have to go online in rehearsal and look at my phone and remind myself of what a verse might be do you you um, don't have, you don't have auto cue though do you think some people have no 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 I've seen that it's a, yeah it's, it's, it's more distracting to the audience oh, there's a huge spider over there you should get it into shot <laughs> this is their time isn't it yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> Real life version of arachnophobia. Um, yeah, I do, I do, I do forget, and I do have to do some research on my own material. I think that's quite normal, though. Yeah, because you also have to remind yourself what the people who are coming are expecting to hear. Yeah, I don't listen. I don't. I don't listen to my records that much. You have to remind yourself what the record sounds like and do your best to try and recreate that sort of thing, and oh, not wow. go back to it. And it's totally different when people are going. Well, you've ruined it. <laughs> you ruined your own song yeah do, do you think there'd ever come a point because obviously like you're, you're doing having played expecting to fly live before i believe and you're doing it again would you ever do one of the other albums you know uh just for the you know never say never. you never say, i mean there is a lot of um a lot of people who would really like to see us do um the second album mm. and i think we could squeeze it in somewhere i mean we've got other things we want to do in the meantime, which have obviously been put on ice. Um, um, but I wouldn't rule it out. Might be the 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary. Yeah. Well, Peter Hayes says Luxembourg, please. So that's yeah. that's one that's down for, uh, and Science and Nature as well, we mentioned. Oh, thanks, thank you. That's the thing, because I, I find that, you know, when you're a fan of something, you, I mean, I don't know if you feel this as well, because obviously there's, there's the slight return thing. There's a song that you're associated with maybe on, on a wider level. But maybe that might, maybe you go in and out of how you feel about that. I don't know. But often the fans are like, "Well, I want to hear the the more obscure stuff," you know. Um, yeah. And 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 the more you're known for a thing, it's like again being a McCartney fan. I'd like him to do all the obscure, more recent solo stuff, or even some of the Wings stuff. But he has to do, you know. Now he even does some of John's songs, and you're just like, I don't know. So yeah, I just wondered whether there is room for that. Although, but then saying that, I think there is room for that. I think the thing is now we've been back now a number of years. And we've toured in a few different formats in the last few years, j jiggling up the back catalogue and trying to give people what they want. And now there is certainly a groundswell, of, again, of opinion of people saying, OK, you can dip into the other other songs on particular albums. And I think we're addressing that now and, and playing songs that we've not taken pleasure in playing for a while. We certainly will be um, from here on in. Once, once we actually get out there to play. Once we're allowed to, yeah. Actually, yeah. So Rebecca Frost is suddenly here. Uh, Mark, you've made my day. Please, a last chance saloon tour, please, with a lot of E's and A's in that, please. So she's I can see that, to that, yes. Yeah. See what I can do. I'll see what I can do. I have some influence. <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, also, I mean, the, the sort of big question is, would, are, are you going to do new stuff with the Blue Tones or, uh, or, or do you not sure yet or just sort of see Yeah, what well, happens? the plan is to do some new stuff. Yeah, the plan was, was to do some new stuff. The plan was to be in a rehearsal studio again uh, in May right. last month when we got back from... Oh, no, no, I, I've got to ask about it. It was in March. We were going to get together in March. Oh, no, April, April, first week of April, sorry. It's been a long right. few months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, that has obviously been, um, that's got the kibosh for the time being. But the plan is we'd like to do some um, EPs next, a series of EPs rather than an album. And for the reason that I think it would, now we're, you know, we're older gentlemen and we have different lives it would be easier for us to focus on smaller bite-sized things 
So when you're doing an EP, you're only really focusing on sort of six songs of which you're going to use four. But when you're doing an album, you're kind of focusing on 11 or 12 songs or sort of 15 or 16 songs of which you're going to might use 10 or 11 or 12, you know, so it's a bigger project. And I think it would be more sensible for us to buy it off in smaller sizes and then put EPs out. And I think people, it's nice for people to listen to things in bite-sized chunks and they look forward to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it all together and go, well, you go, there's an album, sort of. (laughs) And Handley, uh, Chris Reed has said, for Glenn's benefit, EP means extended player, not Elaine Page. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad glad I cleared that up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He knows me well. (laughs) We don't don't need more Elaine Page, I tell you. Um, uh, There's a couple more questions I'll just quickly share that people sent in beforehand, if you don't mind, uh, Mark. Um, This one's Eileen Sulis. Uh, which three musicians, living or dead, would you like to be in lockdown with? And also, I think somebody else said if you could like form the perfect Bee Gees, the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, would I like to be in lockdown with? Yeah, that's a long time, isn't it? Or in a supergroup with? If you could, if you could yeah. pick and choose a band to socially uh, distance jam yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least Barry Gibbs got the beard would probably hold in some of the germs and the sort of air it's like a natural beard snood I think um, I think uh, let me just pull these three out of my head then Kate Bush Kate Bush I think that'd be fun to hang around with Kate Bush and I know she likes to have a recreational cigarette every now and again so she could (laughs) we could join in together on that Kate Bush would be good um I think, I think Neil. I'd like to. I'd like to have Neil Young around, but like a slightly younger, less grumpy Neil Young. Neil Younger. Yeah, Neil Young. Yeah. <laughs> and thirdly, who would I like to have around? Um, I'd probably have um, Jed uh, from Howard Jones's. Uh, it was Howard Jones's mate on New Song, throwing off his mental chains. I'd probably have Jed around because he'd be a good laugh. <laughs> oh, there's another one here this is this one is Sarah Weatherard how do you come up with the concepts for your videos and do you have a favourite and why any funny stories while, th- while filming as well well different videos um, I've, I've got different stories behind them for example the blue tonic video where we've always got these cat masks on and we're running around and burning money it was like we had this idea that we were, we were going to do the, the band were going to do a heist it was a fake heist and we got the money and we didn't actually want it. We just wanted to walk off into the sunrise. And, um, and that, that's your idea, but then you're working in collaboration with a director and they've got their ideas. And so somewhere in the middle, you get something new. Uh, and with the slight return video, that was a concept where the director worked with a concept that we'd come up with. We wanted, uh, we were big, you know, big fans of the film, um, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner and the look of it and the sense that the band would be in perpetual motion for the whole video, constantly running um, with, a, you know, with a moving camera. It didn't quite work out that way, but you get that sense from it. And again, that's, that's collaboration and compromise. Um, but other things, uh, like the, the Marblehead Johnson video with the big suits, that was kind of like French and Saunders had done that on their TV show when they played those two big guys. And Ed's just said, why don't we do that as well? And it's like, yeah, why not? It's like it's quite a, it's like an anti-vanity sort of statement, or whatever, or whatever. And uh, and then us, and then other videos, for example, we had ideas 
suggested to us by directors and we went yeah okay we'll do that that sounds good like the video for if was like that the video for solomon was like that the video for um uh, or Affilia was one that was suggested to us. We didn't come up with those concepts. Ben um, and uh, Rhiannon Price said After Hours video was great. Yes, that's, see, that's that's one. That that was a concept that we uh, that Scott initially came up with, this idea of doing um, a video with puppets. But then uh, Supergrass did it. Huh. Uh, they were there pumping um, on the stereo video, which was brilliant. It's like, oh, well, yeah. that's not out the window. Yeah. And so we said, well, instead of having puppets, because the idea was they were going to be in a bar, so you'd have puppets drinking and misbehaving, that sort of thing. And um, so we just said, well, instead of puppets, let's have children. Um, and and we, we were good friends with Edgar Wright at the time, and he was involved in these discussions with us. And we put the concept to him, and he came up with the idea of we can do this as a one-shot video. And so he then, uh, with... Uh, the help of this uh, American lady whose name escapes me. They, you know, choreographed the whole thing, uh, auditioned all the kids. I was there, I sat in on some of the auditions as well when they were <laughs> casting the kids. It was good fun. And, um, you know, so some videos are more, we're more involved in than others. This is another question here. Do, 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 let's have a look. Uh, do, brackets, did you manage to get to other people's gigs as a punter much? Who are your favourite artists to watch live? That's Louise Devereaux sent that in. Okay, who are my favourite artists to watch live? Yeah, I don't get out as much as I do, as, I, as I'd like to. But, um, there's, I have to travel to get to gigs from where I live. And there's a great venue here in town, the, the Forum, but not everyone comes through here. But recently, the last gig I saw before lockdown, I went to see Elvis Costello. Brilliant. But I've, I mean, the people I'd like to see, the people I'd like to see when they tour are people like Queens of the Stone Age, because they're always good. You know, people who always deliver for me. And Stephen Mountmas. And um, and then there's new bands. I'd like to, I, I would like to go and see the Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. I've been a real big fan of theirs since their sort of first or second EP. And they're going to be playing again soon. I hope I'd, I'd like to get to see them when everyone, you know, when they do. And well, next year, I mean. And um, but yeah, I try to. I try to. I'd love to see Taming Parlor alive. Um, I hope that answers your question. I try to get out, but I, I don't get the chance. And often, if I've been if I've been away for a weekend and I do three gigs in a row and I come home, I'm not really that jazzed about going to a club again. Do you know what I mean? For a yeah. few nights. Back when you were doing, when you were sort of back in the 90s and there was all, um, did you get to see much of what was going on around you at that point? Were you watching other people or were you so focused on what you were doing? You know, oh, no, we were, no, we were real big listeners. Because mm. um, we were music fans as we are now. We still yeah. listen to music. Yeah. A lot of, well, we don't try and keep up as, as hard as we used to, but yeah. we just keep our ear to the ground. Um, yeah, but and there's always those, there was lots going on at that time that we really loved. I mean, uh, when the Fugees first burst onto the scene, yeah. uh, the, um, uh, I mean, the Super Furry Animals, for example, or a band that just made brilliant album after brilliant album. Supergrass, we loved everything that they did. Mm. Um, and quite a lot of our contemporaries, actually. And there was things like Daft Punk was, were emerging, weren't they? And, yeah. Um, but we didn't listen to necessarily bands that were supposedly of our ilk. You know what I mean? Mm. The bands that we might have got lumped in with. Because, as I said earlier, for reasons I mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
do do you find like um because i think it's quite common that people's influences are quite different to the sound that comes out of them you know do, do, do does the stuff that comes out of you come out as you intend it to or is it like sometimes you have you know you envision a song as a certain thing but then in the end obviously it's, you know it comes out a different way is that a yeah thing that... yes yeah 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 i mean i'm i know now um what what are my limitations are and what my strengths are and also, I also know that in that sometimes in that process, and I can say, right, I'm going to write a, write a jazz funk song. And it doesn't matter how hard I try to write a jazz funk song or record it, it won't, it'll have a slightly jazz funk element about it if you listen closely or if, you know, but I know I won't necessarily achieve it, but in my mind, that's the, that's the flavor. It's not like, I know it's not going to be jazz funk. It's going to be sort of through a filter of me, mostly me. Mm. <laughs> I'm not skilled enough to jump through the, the genres and just turn it on and off, but I can have a stab at something and know it will come out sounding other. Mm. I have a hunch it will come out sounding other. Um, I don't know if I can ask you this one because I don't know if it's slightly controversial. Uh, my wife asked, uh, ask about the charlatans in capital letters. <laughs> I oh no, I know what she's referring to. She's referring uh, to that gig we did in Cambridge and I was very indiscreet. You had a moment of revealing. We had we we had a we had we talked with the charlatans very early on in our career, and it let's just say it wasn't the most enjoyable experience for us. It was quite um, it was quite a bit of pill to swallow because we absolutely loved them at the time, and um, and then I guess we just got too close. Never meet your heroes. Mm. Yeah. And when they let you down, in a way, it, yeah. it sticks with you. I mean, you know? to be fair, it was it was a long time ago. You know, they're they're different people now mm. than they would have been. That they, they were young and going through a weird trip like we were too. You know, I mean, they're just a bit further along in their career than we were. And you know, you put it down to foolishness. You know, I don't think they're bad people. I don't think ill of them. But at the time, it was one of those things. It was it was quite a bad experience, and it galvanised us for to be of the attitude that, well, when anyone, anyone ever tours with us, there's no way we're going to treat them like that. Right. Yeah. 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 It's good to kind of learn that, I suppose, quite early on as well, isn't it? It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think as well, some of those things we find this for like comedians as well. Sometimes we have uh, comics that uh, got very successful very quickly. Um, yeah. They sometimes don't know how to be yet. Because I think like music, like comedy, you don't train in how to be when you're on tour or what you do. You just, you just learn as you do it. So To have the success they, either, do you? They don't train to have that sort of... No. success and i suppose comedy is a bit like music in that it's you know it's specific people creating their thing their their voice and stuff and then i suppose over time yeah you sort of learn how to be yeah like you say so i can yeah i can sort of see yeah i mean obviously yeah how to be known yeah well yeah. that's the thing. suddenly you're, you're you're learning your craft if you're if you're if you have success early on in your career you're learning your craft and then all of a sudden you've got a lot of eyes on you and you're not used to having eyes on you that's a mm. or being recognized or having people's expect people having expectations yeah well um gareth took actually says on that um subject he said what's the weirdest fan moment you have ever ever experienced you have experienced? Mm, weirdest, weirdest fan, fan moment. moment let's hope they're not there here was, there was a few yeah. a, a long time ago there were a few i've had people um like whilst i've been fast asleep letting themselves into my hotel room and, oh, and that's sort of thing and um this is a japanese woman years ago and this was in it was in leeds and uh, I just stirred, and there's a Japanese woman sat next to my bed. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah. Terrifying, man. Yeah. Did, 
Yes. Did, did you just I go back to sleep and then wake up and she was gone? Or? Putting her outside. <laughs> did you, um, Ben and Rhiannon and Price said, did you have media training? Actually thinking. Um, what do you think? No. <laughs> no. Oh, does it show? Am I too slick? <laughs> <laughs> Super slick, yeah. Did you have <laughs> But I guess I guess I, I guess I suppose that's in relation to like when you first came big and everything else, and you had to do press conferences and things like that. I suppose did someone tell no, you what no, to no, do no. When, that's much, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a newer thing, isn't it? Now, certainly yeah. that's, in the last few years, that's become more of a thing with bands, mm. as from what I know. But I, it would have been something we would never have got on board with anyway. Yeah, and it's like singing lessons. My record company booked me for singing lessons at one point. To help me look after my vocals more than... Is that what they said? They're like, that's, that's harsh, though, isn't it? Well, I knew that. It's because I kept getting sore throats and I kept getting... Um, uh, I was kept damaging my throat because I hadn't learned properly how to how to project and protect. Project and protect. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't even turn up for it. And then the it was quite a posh singing a vocal coach, from what I gather, or quite a, a highly respected one, let's say. Hmm. And they got the bang up with me for being snubbed and they would never see me again anyway. So that was the end of my singing education. <laughs> I was just remembering, it's like you're saying about like, um, you know, um, living up to expectation stuff. I remember when you came to do mostly, uh, James Acaster was on the same bill and it was quite nice because as he arrived, he went, oh, got you on my iPod as, as a little moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is, and I know because he's um, a big, he's a drummer, isn't he? But he's, he used to be in a band as well. So hmm. that, that, that's a good person to like you because I don't know how familiar you are with James. I didn't know he used to be a, a drummer in a band. Yeah, yeah. I think but, actually yeah. he's put some of his old band stuff out now. I think if you go on his website, you can hear it, yeah. And then one of his shows, he did a thing about it as well. But yeah, that's how he started out. Oh, right. Can you remember what, can you remember what they're called? Oh, no, I can't. I'll have to, I'll have to, no. I'll send it to you. I can't remember, yeah. But um, yeah, I can't remember. But also, I think it's quite common. I mean, the same for me, like, you know, lots of uh, comedians come from bands or come from music and stuff like Billy Connolly or those sort of people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, definitely a crossover. Yeah, but, yeah. definitely is a crossover in, um, um, in terms of friendships and uh, a commonality between stand-ups and uh, and musicians, mm. just, uh, definitely there, there was uh, that Venn diagram of things that you do has a big period in the middle where you you cross over and have a lot of relatable things, and you can admire and learn from each other without um, without feeling like you're ripping off somebody else who's in the same trade. You know, you're not yeah. copying. I heard you say that. I've, I may have maybe even to us when we were talking before about was it Matt Berry with with Matt Berry that whole kind of friendship thing there was that very much like that that kind of you know kind of learning off each other but in different worlds. Well, is he a musician as well as? Yeah, he's a he's a really he's an oh, accomplished cool. musician. Yeah, ah. it was more to do with um um because we were writing songs together but apart. If oh. you know what I mean, we were coming up with little ideas on each other's songs but, it, but I'd write a song and he'd come up with a couple of suggestions for it he'd write a song I'd come up with some suggestions for it we weren't in the same room writing together or anything yeah. like that um but no that it was more it was more um because you know at that point I was a quite an experienced tourer and uh musician and for him he was getting his um it was learning he was learning from me a little bit I wasn't learning from him in his in his delivery or anything like that because that's not that's so idiosyncratic and uh, to him. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, it's not like you I want to you know risk imitating that. Mm. But he was just learning the code of the road, man, and like uh, how to go, how to organise your day when you have a gig, and uh, what to prioritise, and what things to ask the promoter, and what 
yeah. those sort of little things. I mean, yeah. shown in the ropes. He yeah. had toured before, but not in this capacity. Hmm. And um, and and that was kind of what got me into the band as well, because it was like he felt that he could have someone in the band who's on the road who knows what the bloody hell they're doing. Did he approach you then originally? Was that did it kind of? Um, I can't remember. Honestly, we met one night at a friend's mutual comedy gig and then, you know, started talking and then he was doing a radio show uh, on Absolute and he got me in as a guest one time and there was one week where he couldn't do the show. He had to in a, another commitment. And so I stood in for him and did the show. But I didn't do it the Matt Berry show because he used to do sketches and stuff. I just filled the slot. Over. And then... Um, we just started hanging out, really, and um, um, winding up. I'd go around to his flat, and we'd just get the guitars out and share ideas. And then um, we just took it onto the road. We said, "Let's book some gigs and do do, do this show." Hmm. And uh, it was I did a little set, he did a little set, and we did a little bit together, uh. that sort of thing. And it was just really enjoyable. It was kind of off the beaten track, and it wasn't publicised or anything like that. It was just as, as a as, as something to do. So I, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Matt Berry, but I, I saw the Toast episode where you played the theme tune oh, live. Theme live, yeah. theme yeah. live, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was good. That was extraordinary because it had never been done before. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Oh, that so, was good fun. Somebody said the, the Wow scenario. I think was James A. Kester's band, and then somebody else oh, wow. put it in. There's a few the different wow bands. Scenario. Yeah, okay. I, I find this funny as well. The like, Green probably first because like James played the second ever mostly comedy that we did and he was like a regular and this is before he was known i just find it funny that we've gone from that point to now people go i'll oh, look him up on wikipedia it says he did that when he was just he was just a guy oh, doing yeah. you know doing yeah, the right. thing and like we had josh widdicombe did the door once so that's the sort of level of it's just funny how these things happen is in the space of like 12 years so it's yeah. a weird thing um we probably should let you go because we've been yeah. talking for quite some time um but thank you so much for doing this and um thanks to everyone for joining us yeah and i mean it's i mean it is so clear as we see all the messages coming how much you know your the people love you love what you do people want to see last chance saloon live they want to see all those other things so if nothing else if nothing else at a time when we're all stuck in on our own if this helps remind you that a lot of people like what you do might give you you know it's very nice we all need that exactly no one likes us sadly but they're, but they're right. They're right not to. They do. <laughs> but thanks so much, Mark, and um, come back to mostly sometime soon. Come back and do this yes. again as well. We'd love yeah. to be back. With pleasure. With pleasure. And it, it, yes to both of those things. Brilliant. We'll do cool. that. Take All care. Right. See Cheers, you soon, see, see you soon. Thanks, thanks very much. much. Pleasure. Bye. 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 So that was Mark Morris, um, yes. and, a, and a lovely chat it was too. I'm kind of frustrated. Uh, it's difficult when you're trying to cover this sort of thing, but. I, I'm just looking at the list of, and he's had like I think four solo albums. We didn't really get to talk much, so much about all that stuff. There's when someone has that much, uh, like you say in the interview, a sort of back catalogue. It's kind of hard mm. to cover everything. But I think we got a sort of fair sweep of, you know, um, the whole career. I'd like to I say. hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And I, ho- I mean, he's the sort of person we could definitely talk to again. So hopefully, you know, there we may even find there's a point where we can do another interview. Yeah, with him, so. so that all those people who are listening to this now who weren't there, maybe they can be there next time round but um we de- yeah i think we definitely did we definitely covered a quite a broad range of 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 topics of things that he's done in his career as well uh, not just with the blue tones and yeah and also there's that thing like sort of saying in it i mean a time when everyone's mental health is being challenged by the nature of this situation mm. it's nice to sort of 
take 40 or so people that like Mark Morris into his house for a bit and go, yeah. we all love you. We think what you do is great. And then yeah. even with that, you know, it's, it must be, uh, you know, an, a, a nice, a nice thing. So, you know, it, we, Absolutely. we're helping everyone out here. Everyone's, everyone's we getting are. cheered up, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, we throw that in as, as yes. part of the cost. Well, as I say, that's the Mark Morris episode, obviously, but um, we have plenty of other episodes you can check out. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you'll probably see them listed somewhere around it. But if, as for example, tonight, we had a lot of people who obviously never been to Mostly Comedy before because they came because of the, the, the specific that Mark Morris, you know, is a little bit different from our normal acts. Maybe they might like to listen to some of the other interviews we have with some mm. of the, you know, big names in comedy and the like. Absolutely. Yeah, you can find all the details about us at mostlycomedy.co.uk has everything about the comedy club that we run, which is where all of this kind of comes from and um, and where Mark's performed a couple of times and hopefully will do again in the future. And also, obviously, when we release more podcasts or do more things like this, if you join the mailing list there, you'll get all the information on that as well. It's not just about the gig, it's about all this other stuff too. Um, yeah. And obviously, um, Mark's very visible on social media and his own website and, and the like, and his last album was crowdfunded. So uh, look for all that stuff online. You'll find lots of good stuff if you haven't already heard it already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's another one done. Another one bites the dust. That's it, um, yeah. And, and we'll be back with some more soon. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll hopefully have you with us again next time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now.